Well, good morning, New Life. It is so good to be together. And uh, hey, if you could do me a, a favor this morning, as you're making your way in, as you're sitting here, there's a couple things that you're going to need to do for today's service, and I want to make you aware of it kind of early on. Um, as I've said before, when we do things like this, just know that I'm being stretched just as much as you are, uh, because uh, in my introvertness, uh, it's not always easy for me to kind of gather with other people or introduce myself or, or people maybe I don't know. But here's one of the things that we believe here at New Life is that we don't want to just come in and gather in spaces and observe. We want to be formed by Jesus when we gather together. And one of the ways that we're going to be formed today is we're going to read the scripture together in smaller groups. All right. So a little bit later on, uh, instead of myself reading the, the scripture, uh, you're going to gather in smaller groups and read the scripture. So um, if you don't have your Bible, that's all right. We're going to have a QR code that's going to pop up during that portion of the service, and you're going to be able to look up the um, scripture really easily. If you want a physical Bible, right outside those doors, we've got some uh, carts, and there's a Bible out there, and you can go grab and borrow one of those. Or if you don't have one, take it home with you. We'd love for you to be able to do that as well. So here's what I want you to do. To make things a little bit easier um, uh, later on in the service, and even as people come in, maybe tell them, scoot on down. Pastor David said to sit close to together, all right? Um, but you're going to eventually get in groups of kind of four to six people. Um, and so here's what I want you to do. I want you to uh, stand up. And as you stand up, go and scoot a little bit closer together. Introduce yourself to the people around you. Share with them your name. Um, even if you've met them a hundred times, uh, remind them of who you are. And tell them something you did this weekend around the Central Coast. again, one of the reasons we do this type of thing, I love it. This is good. This is good. So here's what I believe God sees when he sees us doing this. He looks down and he sees us fellowshipping with one another and in a world that is, seems so divided at times. 
in a world where there seems to be so many barriers to having a relationship with one another, one of the things that we want to do when we gather together is to be formed by the Holy Spirit and be able to be in community with one another. And this is one small way that we do that. But also down throughout history, one of the ways that the church has done this is that they have confessed their faith together. And so I invite you to stand as we prepare our hearts for worship. And we are going to recite the Apostles' Creed together, reminding us of what binds us together. So I invite you to read these words with me. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his one and only, our Lord. I I know another version. I, I apologize. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And all God's people said, let's worship together this morning.
Well, good morning. You can go ahead and take a seat as the ushers come forward to receive the offering this morning. Um, It's October. I don't know how that happened, but it's here. Today is October 1st, so welcome to October. Um, But if you were here last week, you heard Elena talk about how we are switching over to a new giving platform. Um, So if you have already been a regular giver online, it's pretty easy to switch it over to our new um, platform. We're going to be using PushPay. If you do not have that set up yet and you need help either switching over or getting it set up for the first time, we have people here who would love to help you with that. Just come to one of the connection counters and either Elena or Karen can show you how to get that all set up. I promise it's easy to use. Um, I got my little email that I needed to switch everything, and it was pretty quick and easy. So we would love to help you do that. Um, Just come ask any of us, and we'll point you in the right direction. Um, So giving online, giving at church, however you do that, that's one of the ways that we practice generosity. Another way that we as a church practice generosity is through our pantry. So if you have not ever seen the pantry, it is a pretty amazing ministry here, especially considering that it hasn't existed for very long. It's already done incredible things. The past two to three weeks, they have regularly been serving 200 families. 200 families are coming through the pantry every week, and it's not the same families every week either. It's different families. So we are serving so many people through the pantry, and with that number of people coming through, we are really feeling that need of being able to keep the shelves stocked. So if you are shopping this week and you can get any of these things, you can take a picture of it if it's helpful when you're shopping because I can never remember my own grocery list. But if you can grab any of these things to help us in the pantry, that would be a huge blessing to all the people in our community that that need the pantry. Um, So thank you for helping us with that. Another way that we like to reach out to our community in October, because again, I can't believe that this has happened already, but here we are. Um, we like to celebrate by having Fall Fest. So this year, Fall Fest is at the end of the month. That's, that part's not new. It's always like the last weekend right before Halloween. But this year, this part is new, we are going to have it on Sunday evening instead of Saturday. So if last year you were way ahead of the game and reserved that Saturday on your calendar, go switch it over to Sunday. So it is going to be on Sunday this year. And we already have the cards printed. So if you want to take some of these home and invite the kids on your soccer team or your friends from school or some of your neighbors, like that's what these are for. So you can pass them out. It basically says we're going to throw candy at everybody and have bounce houses, and then they can go home and try to go to bed after. But it's a lot of fun. Um, We would love to have your help. We have thousands of people come to our campus that night, um, and it is a great time. It's a lot of fun. Some of you get really into it and dress up yourselves and host games and all that. So if you want to help, there's a bunch of different ways you can do that. Please sign up or come to a connection counter, and again, we can get you plugged in and on the form and Um, In case you're curious, our favorite response on the forum is, I'll help wherever you need me. So if you want extra gems in your crown, that's the answer you put on the forum. Um, Okay, one more thing we have coming up is this coming Saturday, we have an event. Um, We're doing Gymnastics Day at Legacy in Slow. So if you have elementary kids or younger, we would love to have you join us. We did one in May, and it was a lot of fun. It's a great time because the parents all, or the parents, 
Some parents get their energy out too, but the parents have an opportunity to talk and get to know one another, which we don't always get to do on Sunday as we're quickly dropping kids off and picking them up. And the kids are having a blast running all over the place in the gym, getting to try all the different things. So if you want to come on Saturday, we, again, come to the connection counter. That is the place to go, in case you haven't heard me say it five times. Um, But we can get you signed up for that, and we would love to have you join us on Saturday. Okay, um, let's prepare our hearts for the message today. Awesome, awesome. Well, New Life, it's so good to be with you. It's good to move from the scattered community to the gathered community. And as I said at the beginning, one of the things that's important to us when we gather together is that we're not just observers, but we are being formed by the Spirit when we gather together. Scripture says where two or three are gathered together, I will be there also, yes, yes, yes. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't give you quite the preparation for that. That's all right. But here's what we're going to do. Um, uh, uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to get together in groups of about six people, and, uh, and you're going to read the text together here in just a moment. But I want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, we are in uh, this series on the Old Testament, and as a part of being in that series, um, some of us have chosen to journey through this uh, book called The Invitation. If you pre ordered yours and haven't received it yet, those are in, and you can stop by the connection counter to do that. If you're brand new to us today, and you're just kind of like trying to figure everything out this morning, I want to encourage you to stop by. We got a gift for you. would love to share with you more about what is going on here at New Life. And then last but not least, as we, as we journey through this series, you might go, hey, you know what? I have just I gained a hunger for scripture during this series. And uh, we, um, myself and Pastor Dan, are gonna be taking a group of people to Israel in March. And so you might uh, wanna be a pilgrim with us. That's what I call it. It's not a tourist trip. It is a pilgrimage to go and to just connect with our roots of faith and discover more about who God is and, the, and how the Bible can come alive to us. And one of the things that we learned when we uh, read God's word, when you go to Israel, is how much story forms us as a people. And so one of the reasons why we're doing this series, Origins, is to remind us that this isn't somebody else's story, that God's story is our story, that Israel's story is our story. We have been grafted in to the story of Israel as those who declare that Jesus is Lord. And so one of the things that maybe helps you think about this is that when you talk to maybe a young person or maybe even uh, if you're an individual who has uh, recently retired and you're trying to figure out what life looks like after retirement, sometimes people will say this word, I feel lost. And what they mean by that is I feel disconnected from any story. There's nothing that's helping me make sense of life. There's nothing that's helping me make sense of my reality. There's nothing that's giving me direction in my life. And so they feel lost. And we forget sometimes that the Bible is not just something for us to read and then put on the shelf, but it's a story to find ourselves in. It's a story that helps us make sense of who we are and who God is, and it helps us make sense of meaning of life and how we understand uh, how to live in this world. And so one of the, the this portion of scripture that we're going to be um, studying today has to do with our rebellion. And I want to remind us of what we said in the very first week of this particular series about Act 2 or this idea of rebellion where we find ourselves naked and ashamed. And it says this, humans choose their own way in this portion of God's story. The Bible calls this sin. 
And while humanity has lost its way, God does not give up on his creation. Rather, God responds by reaching out to bring healing and reconciliation to creation. Now, hopefully you're already taking notes either on your phone or writing it down, but there's two, two words I want to kind of connect with this idea of rebellion or this idea of the fall sometimes referred to, and it's simply those two words, rebellion and fall. Rebellion, a decisive decision to do things our way. Have you ever talked with somebody and you're like, man, this person has a rebellious spirit? If you haven't, go find a teenage, no, I'm just joking, I'm joking. <laughs> But, but even as adults, we have rebellious spirits at time, right? And, and we want our way, and we don't want to do what somebody says, and we will prove them wrong. Or sometimes you will find individuals who, if you say the sky is blue, they will swear it's purple, right? And, and so one of the things we recognize in the story of God is that rebellion, this decisive decision to do things our way instead of God's way, is something that's very real to our story, and then the second thing that we have to recognize is that there is a fall that happens when sin enters the world. Now, the reason I like the word rebellion first is because sometimes when we talk about sin, we act like we like fell into sin, like, oops, I fell into sin. No, that's not how we do it. We rebel against God. It is an intentional rebellion against the ways of God. You don't fall into sin. There's a million decisions that you make long before you ever experience sin that puts you in a position to rebel against God. But the fall is about a lesser state. And so what sin does to this world and what sin does to our relationship with God and what sin does to our relationship with other people is it places us in a lesser state, a fallen state. We weren't created to be in a world that has cancer and brokenness. We weren't created to be in a world that has rebellion between one another and between God. And so in Genesis chapter three, the Bible reveals a story that anchors us in our understanding of why we see sin in this world. It anchors us in the story of why we have this disconnect in our relationship with God and this disconnect in our relationship with one another. And so what I want you to do over the next few moments is turn to some of the people that are near you and instead of listening to me read, because I know what happens sometimes, I go start reading the text and you kind of check out and think, mm, where do we want to eat at lunch, right? <laughs> I get it, I get it, it happens. It's part of sin, it's okay. No, I'm joking. <laughs> But, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the couple people around you, maybe like five or six later on, um, just to let you know, we're gonna take communion together. You're gonna take communion with these same individuals. And so um, we want you to gather together and probably groups of six is probably the most. If you have to go a little bit bigger than that, that's okay. And I want one person, and here's what I know. I know that there are some people that are petrified of reading out loud. So don't make that person be the one that reads out loud. Why don't you, as somebody who maybe doesn't mind reading out loud, just simply volunteer and say, I'll be the one that reads out loud, and I want you to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Now, if you don't have your Bible on you, we're going to put up a QR code. You can actually scan that. I tried it earlier. It works, and uh, that will take you to that Genesis chapter 3 
passage, okay? And as you're reading, um, you, there's not gonna be a ton of time for discussion in this context, but I want you to begin processing these things. What is being communicated about the serpent? What is being communicated about God in this passage? What is being communicated about sin? And what is being communicated about humanity, both you and other people? So this slide's gonna stay up there to help you out. And uh, go ahead and gather in your groups and read again Genesis chapter three, uh, verses one through 13. And if you're at home, go ahead and do that as well. If you're on the patio, gather with people there as well. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you, God, as we come to you, God, I I pray that we would not just physically read the words on the page, but we would allow your spirit through the revelation of your word to be shaped in us, to form us, to help us to see not only ourselves, but this world as you see it, God, and not as we see it. That we would learn to trust you more. That we would learn to walk with you. That we would learn to hear and listen to your voice. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, For some of you, I mean, I know you do something like that maybe when you're in a small group, but for some of you, that might be the very first time that you've ever done that in this kind of context. And one of the things, again, as I was preparing for this series, I just felt the Lord prompt me and say, David, we need to, as the people of God, we wanna be, again, formed by what God is doing here when we gather together. And one of the ways that we can do that is by periodically shifting the way that we read scripture and shifting the way that we understand things. And so I pray that this morning, even though it was a little bit chaotic, and it probably was, that's okay, that we also allowed ourselves to maybe tune our ears a little bit more intentionally to what God wants to say to us this morning. And and so hopefully, again, with those questions that were on the screen, um, you may not have, most likely didn't have time to discuss those, which is totally fine, but I wanted to get you thinking in that direction because that's what we're gonna take a look at in this text today. We're gonna walk through this idea of what the passage is revealing about this serpent, what the passage is revealing about sin, what the passage is revealing about who God is and who we are and how we relate to God and relate to one another. And as we read this again, what I wanna encourage you to do is to not just see this as simply words on a page or words in the Bible, but to see it as your story. This is how we, as followers of Jesus, make sense of life. This is how we as followers of Jesus make sense of evil in this world. This is how we as followers of Jesus understand why we act the way that we do. Have you ever looked at a child and say, why are you acting like that, right? And they're like, I don't know. We do know. Rebellion, sin, it's a really obvious answer and we begin to understand why we do the things we do. So let's start here with one of the ones that maybe is most challenging, the serpent in the story. I think when we read this story and we come to that portion where we see and we read about a talking serpent, our modern minds just go crazy. And, and one of the things that's really unique that you, that you may or may not pick up on, it's not like Eve is shocked. It's not like she's like, whoa, there's a talking snake here, right? 
Like, like she doesn't come across that way within this text. Um, it seems rather natural, natural. And one of the reasons why it's natural, or maybe let me back up and say this, you also don't read about animals just kind of talking and eating all over the place, right? So one of the things that's interesting about our understanding of the serpent is that most of us, again, sometimes we push aside the story because when we read it with our modern minds and outside of its original context and outside of its original con- uh, culture, we read it simply as that there's this talking snake that comes and talks to Eve. And yet, theologians down throughout history have focused not on the talking snake, but on the serpent, which in the original Hebrew language um, it, uh, has a divine or spiritual being name that it's not simply just a talking snake, but it's a spiritual being. The reason why this is important is because when we understand Eden, we have to understand it as a place where heaven and earth are crossing over. And there is humans and there is divine beings, both a part of what's going on in Eden. Now, you remember, we've been recommending to you to check out the Bible Project. The Bible Project actually has a whole series on spiritual beings, and I'd encourage you to go check it out because, again, I know in your modern mind, you're like, oh, come on. Do we really believe in this idea of spiritual beings? Yeah. Yeah. We believe that our battle is not against flesh and blood. We believe that there is a spiritual realm that we have to wrestle with. We believe that there's a spiritual realm that that we have to um, kind of figure out, like, how is this impacting me? And so when we read this text, and instead of just going, oh, explaining away the talking snake or having somebody say, well, you know that, you know, as a part of God's original intent before the fall, animals could talk. Like, I've heard people say that. That is not what's going on in this particular text. What is happening is that some of the spiritual beings that are there are rebelling against God and they invite humanity into their rebellion. You know that there is a spiritual being that wants to invite you into his rebellion. That our battle is again not against flesh and blood. But there is this unseen spiritual world that we need to be aware of. And so when we think about evil and when we think about sin, well, we choose sin. We have to understand that there is an enemy, that there is a spiritual being that is coming against us and trying to beckon us to bend our lives towards that spiritual rebellion rather than bending our lives towards holiness and the things of God. That's our story. So when I ask myself or I'm going to the Lord and I'm praying like, God, why am I doing this? Because my ears, like again, an answer, not the only answer, but an answer is my ears are actually in tune with the one who is calling me towards spiritual rebellion more than they are in tune with the one who is calling me to holiness. And I have to wrestle with that. And so we find ourselves reading this text and rather than just trying to explain it away or push it aside, we say, okay, what does this mean for me? The second area that we're wrestling with or asking ourselves about is God himself. And Jared preached an awesome message last week on creation and this idea that we were created and it was good. 
But what happens and what we become aware of in Genesis chapter three is that in Genesis chapter three, the humans and this spiritual being believe that God cannot be trusted. At the root of our sin is this idea that we don't believe God can be trusted or maybe more, more importantly or more decisive in some of our lives is we don't think God has our best interest in mind. And because we don't believe that God can be trusted and because we don't believe that God has our best interest in mind, we find ourselves wanting to determine what is best for us on our own. In the, in the biblical story that we read, this is us determining good and evil rather than trusting God with what is good and evil. And what happens in this story as you were reading it, as you were reading it is that Eve begins having a conversation with this spiritual being and they start talking talking about God. And notice what doesn't happen. All of a sudden, first of all, let me back up and say that they make God a subject and forget that God is about a relationship. And there are people who like to know about God, but they don't actually know God. And so in this scene of what happening in act, in act two of the biblical story where we read about rebellion is all of a sudden the spiritual being and Eve start talking about God and, and, and having conversations about what God said as if he is some type of object to be discussed rather than a person they could have gone to. And what would have happened if when this spiritual being was tempting Eve with, uh, with this temptation of rebellion. If Eve would have said, hold on a second, God, let's bring you into the conversation here. Let's ask God what, what he thinks about this particular topic. It's fascinating to me. That when even when we begin having conversations about what good and evil is, we will solicit various books and we will ask various people and we will ask various friends. But one of the last things, if, if we do it at all, is to go into the presence of, the, of God Almighty and say, God, would you allow your spirit to begin to speak to me? And would I be willing to trust you and trust what you reveal to me through your word and by your spirit so that I might walk in your ways? We go to everybody else. In fact, you can make the argument that there is other, what has been deemed not by Jesus and not by God as good news, but there is plenty of people throughout the world that are deeming things as simply good news or the gospels as it relates to this idea of good and evil. Other gospel claims, the gospel claim that, or the good news of prosperity, if you just have enough money and enough wealth and enough this, guess what? You will be able to make sense of life. You will be able to figure out your sin and your brokenness. And there's actually evangelists for this. And they will tell you. They have whole marketing departments that say, if you buy this price, if you buy Dawn's soap, you will wash your sins away. <laughs> like, literally, that's the way they make you feel, right? Like, if you just have this product, if you have the latest iPhone, the moment that the new iPhones came out, my phone stopped working as well. <laughs> Interesting. And I'm not even much of a conspiracy theorist. But just Interesting. 
the gospel of politics. If you vote for this, if you do this, if you join this group, if you join that party, if you do that, the gospel, the gospel. Guess what? There are news stations on both sides dedicated to being evangelists for the gospel of politics. And in their minds, that's the good news. The gospel of self-help. If you just do these steps, you know there's really good steps and tools that you can find in self-help and all kinds of different things, but if you don't orient your heart first towards Jesus, if you don't orient your life towards Jesus, you will make gospel out of the tools that you're using rather than God. And so I need, you need to ask yourself, is part of my issue with sin, is part of my issue with rebellion, the fact that I don't really trust that God has my best interest in mind? Which leads us to the third conversation or what's being revealed through this passage, which is sin. And it's interesting, in verse six, it says that Eve becomes convinced of what this spiritual being is saying. This lie that the spiritual being is saying. Initially, when she's talking to the spiritual being, that she begins to talk about like what God says and, and basically articulates essentially what God said and then all of a sudden begins to realize, hey, I wonder if God can't be trusted because what the spiritual being says back to her um, as we're le- leading her along, or as we're reading through it, is he says, God knows. He says, first of all, he says, first of all, you won't die. I know God said you would die, but you're not gonna die. Not only that, but God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. In the moment that the spiritual being tempts Eve with that, again, the issue becomes, am I willing to trust God? Am I willing? Because now I got a question. Does he really have my best interest in mind? Is he really about this? Again, at the I think we spend so much time talking about particular sins. We have this whole list of particular sins that we like to order and categorize and we never get to the root. We never go to our origin story and talk about the root of sin and the root of sin is rebellion and the root of sin is this lack of trusting in God. But we like to talk about particular sins. But what's happening in this particular text is that we begin to understand that you're going to choose to trust in someone or something. You're gonna choose to follow a gospel. You're gonna choose to see that something or someone is good news in your mind. Are you willing to trust God? One of the things that happens in the text is that there's deception that takes place. The enemy works through sin by beginning to 
speak lies into our life and begin to lie to us and allow us to decide, am I gonna trust God or am I gonna trust this lie? Later on in the text, uh, in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, we, we learn from Jesus' words himself that, that, that Satan is the father of lies and that those who are following the lies that, that are in authority, the religious authority, have, not, have forgotten who God is and forgotten to trust in God and now are following the father of lies. In fact, he does this, guess what he calls these individuals several times in the gospels, a brood of vipers. You don't think that if your origin story is grounded in Genesis chapter one, two, and three, that wouldn't bring your mind back to the garden? The deceiver? The tempter? And they all want to say, no, but we're, we're, the, we're the sons of Abraham. And she allows her own desires, both the lies of the enemy and her own desires, to have more authority than God in her life. It says that she looked on it and it was delicious and she wanted wisdom. Her own desires. How often between the lies that we believe and the own deceptiveness of our heart do we find ourselves in sin? And when she ate of this fruit, she gave some to the man that was with her. And all of a sudden, God comes along. It says he's walking in the cool of the day. And he calls out for Adam. He says, Adam, where are you? And they are hiding. Why are they hiding? Because when they eat of the fruit uh, of knowledge of good and evil, their eyes are open and they recognize their nakedness. And for the very first time, because of sin, you weren't created with this. It is because of sin that you feel shame. What do they do? They try to solve things themselves, right? Because now they're God, they're, 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 they're big, they're grown up men and women. So they try to solve sin themselves. What do they do? They sew fig leaves together. Seems like a pretty inadequate answer. I'm just saying. And then they hide. There's something I've learned about sin over the years. When we sin, we isolate. You know who we isolate from? God and the people of God. When I see people pull back from their relationship with God and their time spent in his presence, and when I see people pull back from the people of God, there is a high possibility that they are allowing themselves to fall into sin or to willingly choose rebellion in that season of their life. And what happens when God comes is all of a sudden the blame and shame happens. And the reason the blame and shame happens is because, hold on a second, our propensity as those who have chosen our way is that we want to be God. That's at the root of of the sin that takes place in the garden. It's at the root in your life as well, that you want to be God. You want to determine good and evil. You want to determine your destiny. You want to determine how life works. And what happens when we sin and we feel shame, we are faced to look in the mirror. And when we look in the mirror, we don't see perfection and we don't even see good we see shame and unworthiness and we want to cast that away from us we want to pretend that that's not our fault so we begin blaming everybody else 
We begin to drown out God's presence. And we begin to not only blame others, but we begin to blame God. Adam, all of a sudden, blames Eve. Oh, it wasn't my fault. It's this woman you put me here with. How many of God's gifts? Remember, Eve was a gift. How many of God's gifts have been corrupted because of sin? Sex and sexuality. Relationships. Singleness. Work. Dominion. All these are gifts from God. All of these are things that we get to walk in as we rightly orient our lives towards God. And yet the enemy comes along and both through the lies of the enemy and the own deception of my heart or desires of my heart, we choose not to trust in God, but to choose to trust in the things of this world. And if you read Genesis chapter three and chapter four as a whole, it really comes into clarity because not only do you see blame and shame here, but in chapter four, you see this happening uh, through through the story of Cain and Abel, and I encourage you to read that on your own. But there's two questions. One comes out in chapter three and one comes out in chapter four. In chapter three, God asks this question to uh, Adam and Eve, essentially, where are you? Fracture in the relationship with God. And in chapter four, he asked this question after a murder takes place, where is your brother? And in those two questions, the world that God created in Genesis chapter one and two is no longer good, but there is a fracture in our relationship with God and a separation in our relationship with God and separation in our relationship with one another. And we have deemed ourselves as those who somehow are God. And part of me is like, God, why don't you just give up on your creation? Start over, figure it out some other way. You know what God does in his graciousness? He stays. He stays. Pastor Gina told me one time when the kids were growing up, and you know, sometimes kids have attitudes and things of that nature. She says, hey, you know what? Sometimes the reason that our kids talk to us that way is because we're the only safe place where they know that we're not going anywhere. We're not leaving. They can yell at us and have tood with us and all that kind of stuff, but they know that we're not leaving. And you know what God does in Genesis chapter three and beyond? He doesn't leave. He does the difficult, hard work of redemption. And so the question for us, if we, we are followers of Jesus and we, we recognize that part of our origin story is sin and that sin has fractured our relationship with God and fractured our relationship with other people is to begin looking, okay, God, what's the solution then? What are you moving us towards? And Jesus begins to, through his life, death, and resurrection, begin to reveal what that solution is. Jesus comes along and he begins teaching about the kingdom and within the kingdom, guess what the two most important, that all of the other laws of history hang on, all the other laws of the ancients hang on. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. 
In the kingdom of God, as we reorient our hearts away from sin and towards the things of God, God is healing and restoring our relationship with him and our relationship with other people. And then notice what happens in another garden in the New Testament. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying. And he's saying, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, and a decision must be made in that moment, will he trust in his own humanist understanding of good and evil and how to solve this problem? Or will he trust in his heavenly father? And he utters these words, not my will, but your will be See, the temptation to let this cup pass is not the sin. Not my will. But your will be done. God, not my will, but your will be done when it comes to finances. Not my will, but your will be done when it comes to my future. Not my will, but your will be done when it comes to my sexuality. Not my will, but your will be done when it comes to my understanding of marriage. Not my will, but your will be done when it comes to singleness. Not my will, but your will be done. That's where we anchor ourselves. That's where we find ourselves in God's story. And third, we see it at the cross where Jesus willingly lays down his life for you and for me. And in that moment, the evil that came against him and nailed him to that cross, guess what? That evil doesn't win because three days later, he is raised from the dead. And this is so key, folks. We don't read the Bible because somehow it makes Jesus valid. We believe that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. That is the foundation of our faith. And the reason that we trust in God's revelation through his word is because somebody named Jesus came back from the dead. And all honestly, instead of trusting the marketing departments of this world and my friends of this world and the things that happen in this world, I'm gonna trust the guy who was raised from the dead. That's literally what we believe. And we can try to explain that away or pretend that that's not what our origin story is. And all of a sudden, you begin to syncretize the things of this world with the things of Scripture. We are a people who believe in the resurrected Jesus and the power of the resurrection to heal our relationship with God who created us and to heal our relationship with one another. And Jesus, knowing that we were going to need ways of being formed into this understanding, that he didn't want it just to be ideas in our head, but that practices that would form us. On the night that he would be betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken to you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And then he took 
the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant that will be made through my shed blood. Take and drink in remembrance of me. And it's not just a cognitive remembrance, it's a practice that forms us and shapes us. And there's something that's spiritual that is happening in that particular moment that binds us together, not only with God, but with one another. We're at a table having fellowship with people who we don't agree with on everything, but we agree with on the most important thing, and that is Jesus. It's healing. It's restoring us. It's why he instituted as a practice that we would do regularly. And so today, that's what we're gonna do. If I can have the slide come up, that's the communion slide. I'm gonna walk us through a couple of things. The first thing I want you to do is kind of on your own. It's this slide here. It's your relationship with the Lord. Invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart and to reveal if you have sinned against God or you have sinned against others. You're like, no, I don't do that. Genesis Genesis chapter three says we do. Search our hearts, oh God. Take a moment. Quiet your hearts. Go through your relationships. Go through your last week. God, where have I not trusted you? Where have I trusted the gospels of this world? Where have I looked for good news and other sources other than you? And if the Holy Spirit reveals anything to you, confess and admit that I have sinned against God or against others. Just confess that in your heart right now. Here's the good news. God's forgiveness and mercy is present even in our So receive God's gift of forgiveness offered through the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You do not have to walk in your shame. You can walk in his grace. And so many of us stop there. But I want to encourage you, if you've never done it, to take the next step, which is repent. To realign your heart with the heart of God and the heart of God's kingdom. That you don't just walk out here and say, okay, I'm just going to do the same thing over again, same thing over again. But you reorient your heart, you realign your heart, you repent. You turn from your alignment to the things of this world and to sin. And your bentwardness towards sin. And you begin bending. And that's not just by your grit, that's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can trust. Realign your heart. leads to the second slide that I want to walk us through. You're going to gather with others. You're going to gather in those groups that you've been in, again, as a way of being formed, as a way of reminding us that it's not just you and God, but it's us and God. And what, here's what I want you to do. In a moment, 
as the team plays and sings, I want you two, maybe three at the most people, because otherwise it's going to get way too chaotic. Two or three people from your group come down and grab elements for your entire group. You probably only need one piece of bread, and then you'll have several juices. So make sure you bring enough people so you're not kind of, you know, doing one of these things walking back, right? And so once you send those individuals, you're going to go back to your seat and you're going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank God for healing our relationship with him and thank God for healing our relationship with one another. And I just encourage one or two people from that group to pray into that. Um, Again, we are the body of Christ and we're not here to observe. We're here to practice and to be formed further into the image of Jesus. And so I invite you to have somebody in your group do that. And then last but not least, if somebody would just... Uh, in that group would invite people to take the bread and remind each other this is Christ's body which has been broken for us and you're going to receive that and then um, Christ's blood which is shed for us and then receive the juice. We're the body of Christ. We're the priesthood of believers. And so I invite you over the next few moments to send folks forward and to participate and the grace that's been extended us through Christ Jesus that redeems the story of Genesis chapter three. It's through Christ's broken body and shed blood, and it's through Christ's broken body and shed blood that we can be restored. So Holy Spirit, may your presence just guide and direct us in this place. I invite you to come forward at this time.
you go today, may you be confident that while our story 
might begin in chapter three with rebellion, that that is not the period at the end of our story for those who place their trust in Christ Jesus. So go and be a gospel people and spread the good news that sin, death, and evil has been defeated and they have been defeated by Jesus. Amen? Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.